she really put the pressure on me, like prayed for my gift of preaching, like, hope this doesn't suck, you know. Um, yeah, my name is Marty Cates. For those of you who don't recognize me or know me, I'm uh, the assistant pastor of church planting here at Spring Run and um, working on uh, planting a church in Amelia County. Uh, so you can continue to pray for that. And uh, we'll be um, continuing this morning uh, in our series, Encountering uh, Jesus, or Encounters with Jesus, specifically as we look into John chapter 17. And John 17 is uh, the high priestly prayer, if you're not familiar with uh, the Gospel of John. It's a passage we have that um, gives us the heart of Jesus as he opens uh, his heart up to us and begins to pray uh, to his Father. And uh, it's, it's, he prays uh, first in the, the first part of it um, for uh, his glory, that he might be glorified, and that in being glorified, the Father would be glorified, and that, that he would then be, uh, that he would return to the Father uh, in glory, the glory that he left uh, when he came uh, here. And then uh, he prays uh, for the disciples, that they would be preserved um, from the evil one, that they would be sanctified, that they would be uh, one. And then in the passage we will uh, look at this morning, uh, he prays for us. John uh, 17, verse 20, it says, um, And I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Well, that's us this morning who claim uh, faith in Christ. We have believed uh, through uh, the word. And so we are those that Jesus prays for. A prayer reveals our hearts. Right? You, you often say you can tell what somebody loves by where they spend their money. But you can tell what they really love when it's threatened and they turn to prayer. They turn to prayer. We, we, we see it all over when something horrific happens, people begin to pray. When someone's dying, they, they turn to prayer. When someone is beginning to lose something that they cherish, they begin to pray for it. I see it at my dinner table. Our four-year-old, um, we, we ask our girls, we have three girls, we ask them uh, each at dinner time, like, would any of you like to pray for dinner? And our oldest, being the oldest and the rule follower and, and, and the one that checks all the boxes, always says yes, she'll pray for dinner. And uh, she, she prays beautifully and wonderfully, and I'm glad that she uh, likes to pray. And then our other two are a little more hesitant. But our, our youngest, uh, if there is something on that table that is one of her favorites, if there's mac and cheese or whatever it might be that's on the table, she will volunteer to pray. And she will pray for the delicious mac and cheese or whatever dish it is. It, it reveals her heart, the things that, that she's excited about, the things that she loves I have an old pastor friend who said his biggest regret in ministry was that uh, he didn't talk less and pray more. That if he could go back and change things, he would preach less and pray more. Most of us, including your pastors, probably talk to others more about God than they talk to God about others. That's all of us. But that's not Jesus. We see throughout Scripture in the New Testament and the Gospels as he retreated and prayed. Luke shows us time and time again that he retreats to pray and he even takes the disciples with him and, and Matthew echoes it that he takes the disciples and he teaches them how to pray. Because prayer for him was important to have this life that is a deeply rooted in a conversational intimacy with the Heavenly Father. That's the, the example that he gives to us. And so we turn to our passage this morning and we see the heart of Christ revealed for us. So before we turn and read together from John 17, would you pray with me as we ask for his help? Heavenly Father, we come this morning rejoicing. 
in your grace and mercy, rejoicing in your holiness, your majesty, and your power. We come this morning asking for your blessing upon the reading and preaching of your word. We come this morning asking you, O Holy Spirit, to be at work, to draw us into deeper faith this morning and the greater love for Christ. We might pursue the things of his kingdom and his righteousness. In his name we pray. Amen. So John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. Father, I desire that they whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know you, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is God's word. It's without error in any part. It's given for our good and for his glory. So his prayer for us, it reveals his heart. Our text this morning is kind of divided into two uh, distinct kind of parts. The first, uh, verses 20 to 23, it's Jesus praying for us. And, this is, and then verses 24 to 26, he's praying about us. So if you've ever wondered how Jesus might pray for you, then give ear this morning because he prays for us. And he prays for our unity, that we would be one. You hear that throughout this text, that we would be one, that we would be united. Most Protestants and most Protestant evangelicals would probably be surprised the priority that the Lord places on our unity. We're really good at dividing, right? I mean, how many denominations are there? How many times have we divided over things? But he places a significance on our unity. And if you were to place your finger here and you were to turn to the Pauline epistles, you would see that the apostles clearly understood Jesus' heart for our unity. Paul, in writing uh, the book of Ephesians, spends the first three chapters, and he, he lays down the glorious doctrine of salvation. Right, chapter one, he, he, he lays out for us that we have been elected by the Father through all eternity. Chapter two, that we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And chapter three, that, that we've been sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The, 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 the Trinity has been at work in our salvation uh, from the, the foundations of the world. But then chapters four to six, he lays out the ethics of the Christian life. He, he says, essentially, he says, in, in light of this great calling that you have, live in a manner worthy of it. Live in a manner worthy of it. Christian ethics are always rooted in Christian doctrine. We, we live the way we live because of what has been done for us, what has been given to us by Christ. And so Paul begins to lay these things out. And, and, he, and he says uh, to us all these different ways that, that we're to speak well of each other. That, that we're um, to, to have wholesome speech. He, he talks about family ethics and, and sexual ethics. 
that we aren't to be angry, that we aren't to steal, but instead to be generous in our giving, etc., etc., etc. But what's the first one? What's the first one that, that Paul says after laying out the beauties of our salvation? The first one is that we would maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the first thing that the Apostle Paul turns to for us to live ethically, to live as Christians, is to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And we often overlook this priority for various reasons, and we'll get into some of those uh, this morning. But we'll look at these two divisions, that what he prays for us first, in verses 20 to 21, uh, he's going to pray who this unity is about. And then he's going to show us what this unity is, and then why, why we need this unity. And then 22 to 23, he's going to use that same pattern, but take it to loftier language, place more significance on it. And so who is this unity for? Right, Jesus came to create a new society, to, to bring about a redemption of redeeming all things, a new heavens and a new earth. And to be a part of that is to believe in him by the power that is in the word of God, handed down to us from the apostles. It's impossible for humanity to be unified outside of a common faith in Jesus Christ. Just look at the world. Open the newspaper. Turn on the news. There is strife. There is violence. There is anger and conflict that's unresolved in every corner of the world today. But it's in the midst of this fallen world. It's in the midst of this brokenness that Jesus is establishing this new humanity, this new society that's united together in him. And that's the key to this union, that we have him, that we believe the words the apostles have passed down to us. The key to our union with one another, the key to our unity with one another is that we all believe in Jesus. I guess some of you are here this morning and, and you're not there. You haven't placed your faith in Christ. You don't, you don't believe yet, and yet you're here, and I'm thankful for that. Because this message of hope, this message of, of unity, of reconciliation that he proclaims begins first and foremost with us being reconciled to the God of all creation through the blood of Christ who's praying these things. And that is a, a, a message that we want proclaimed at every street corner and every back alley and every home and neighborhood that all humanity might experience and know this new creation. Jesus is saying clearly that you can't really find unity with your brothers and sisters unless you have a common father, his father. So he's talking about those who are in Christ, those who are Christians, those who who believe and place their faith in him. But notice in verse 21, he says that they all may be one. They all all of us, every single one of us that have placed our faith in him, that we may be one. And for some of you, that, that's difficult. No one's left out of this. And some of you might be thinking, Pastor, you, you, don't, you don't quite understand. I'm a weird duck. And some of you are, you're weird ducks. We might, might be thinking, well, I just, I just don't get along with most people. or all people. I'm just not a people person. Just let me be. Some of you have come, you know, come up and say, you just don't get it. There's some weird ducks out there. You don't realize you're the weird duck, silly. 
And I, and I, and I get it. It, it. It's not easy. But Jesus is saying every single one of us, there is zero tolerance for anyone to be left out of this. Zero. And I understand some of us require more time. Right? Some people are, are EGRs. Extra grace required. I'm one of those people. But what, what Jesus is telling us is what he says throughout his word is that my grace is sufficient for you. He's given us the grace. He's given us what we, what we need to deal with those that are extra grace required. Because he's given us extra grace. He's given us that extra scoop. He's given us more than, than we could ever know. It's abundant. Our cup overflows with his blessings. So he calls us to unity. Every single one of us. That's who he's praying about. That's who he's talking about. That we would be united. And so what's the nature of this unity? Why can't we just all get along and we'll just, you know, bury things and not talk about them? I don't know about your family, but uh, that happens a lot in, in my family. Like, you know, there's a moment of discord. There's some strife or some anger or somebody's feelings get hurt or frustration. And um, we just don't talk about it. And, you know, 20 years go by and we still haven't talked about it. And finally at a family reunion, like it just blows up and there's people throwing punches and that doesn't happen at your family reunions. <laughs> Why can't we just all get along? Right, if you're familiar with uh, the church history, you know, over the last century, there's been numerous uh, chances or, or, or conferences or, or meetings about ecumenical unity. The, the, the mission of, of, of us being ecumenical, meaning we, all these different denominations coming together and being united together. They've happened all over. And um, they don't work. They don't work. They miss the mark because they miss a few of these very special words in verses 21 and 22 and 23. Just as, even as, even as. The key to unity is realizing that it is not something that human beings, that we can create, that we can manufacture, that we can legislate, that we can put a process in place to make it all work out. It's something that is given to us. Jesus knows this. The Father knows this. They've given us this gift of unity. And so it's not for us to create it. It's for us to preserve it. It's for us to promote it, to protect it. Because we can't create it. And that's why all those, those discussions about ecumenical unity will fail. Because this isn't about organizational unity. It's about a unity of heart. About a unity of heart as we're united together in Christ. The big fancy theological term is it's a mystical union. All that means is we can't explain it. Right? That, that's what a mystical union means. We can't explain it. It's, it's by faith that we, we, we trust in it. It's by faith that we believe in it. And it's not the only one found in Scripture. that The Trinity is a mystical union, right? Well, it's, it's, it's one God and three persons, three persons. One, you, you come up, how does that work? And I just say, yep, mm-hmm. The, the, the two persons of Christ united together, right? The hypostatic union. Can't explain it. Our union with Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's a mystical union. Just as us being united together now is a mystical union. Union. Christ says that, that 
He is the vine and, and, and we are the branches. He is the head, we are the body. It's this organic union that we have with him and that union with him then unites us all together as one family, as one plant, as one person, the bride of Christ. Now that's what we're calling. He's calling us to what he's praying for us to have, perfect unity. Because that's the unity that it's based on, Trinitarian unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit here, who are united in heart and in will, that we have that kind of unity. There's no room for discord, zero tolerance for anyone being left out, zero tolerance for, for unresolved conflict, perfect unity. That's what he's praying for. He's not just praying for it in John 17, right? Hebrews tells us that he is now at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf. He's interceding and praying for it even now. You want to know what he's praying for right now? John 17 tells us what his heart is. That we would have unity with one another. Our unity with one another is built upon the unity found in the Trinity. And so it's not on us to create it, but it's on us to preserve it. It's on us to protect it. It's on us to promote it. Well, how? Paul says in Ephesians 4, after he tells us to, to protect the, the, the unity that we have and the bond of peace that we have, that we do it through what? Through humility. We, we, we do it through what? Through patience. We do it through what? Through long-suffering. That's why we don't like to talk about unity. Because those are three virtues we have in short supply. Right now, one of you is just thinking, well, I'm pretty humble. You just proved the point. And we all, we, some, some of you are very patient. My, my wife is one of those kind of people. She is incredibly patient. I am the impatient one. Not just like in, in just in general. You should, we just prayed for our home search. Like I would have bought a house like two years ago when we just, just started praying about whether we were going to go plant a church in Amelia. I was already like, we're going to. We might as well just go ahead and buy the house. She's like, no, no, we shouldn't do that. That's not wise. My impatience comes through in, in with my children. I, I can't suffer them very long before I lose my temper and they lose some thing they wanted to be playing with or were fighting over or hitting each other with. She can put up with it. But even she gets worn thin. So what do we do? We're, we're, we're called to unity. Paul tells us how, how we, we practice this unity, how we achieve it but we all know we struggle with those virtues. Well, what do we do? We look to the cross. We look to Jesus. We look to the one who humbled himself, who humbled himself even to, the, to death and death on a cross. We look to the one who, whose patience is infinite, whose long-suffering knows no bounds. That's what we do. Why? Because he says his grace is sufficient. So we look, we look to Jesus, who says to us that I'm redeeming I'm redeeming this broken world. I'm redeeming this place. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking it into a place of, of unity, of love, of truth, of holiness. That's the unity he's calling us to. So why does he pray for our unity? Well, verses 21 and 23 tell us he prays for our unity, what? So that the world may believe the Father sent him. So that the world may believe. So he prays for our unity so that the world may believe. Well, you know, he's given us a command already in John 10, a few page turns before, that we love one another and by this love what the world will know, you are mine. 
And so now he's just reiterating that in his prayers for us, his desires for us, that we be unified together so the world will know that he was sent by the Father. I am. Um, I, I, older movies, you, you get one in, in, uh, in Christmas every year, the Christmas story. And there's the, the scene where Ralphie and, and the crew are all uh, in the town center. And there's the new dis- Christmas display has been put up. And they're all like rushing forward, just press their faces against the glass to see the new Christmas display. And to see the gifts that are being displayed, but also just to see the cool things that have been put in it this year. That's the world looking at the church when the church is unified. Pressing their faces against the glass, wondering what's different about them. Wondering how are they this way? How do they show love like that to one another? Longing to be a part of it, right? That's the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus and says, how do, how do I have eternal life? He's been following him around for some time. He's heard him preach. He's seen the love and the community of the disciples and he wants to be a part of it. Well, how do I get to be a part of it? I've done all those things. Well, go sell all of your possessions. And he walks away sad. Now we can take from it he's sad because it says he had many possessions. And that's true. He probably was upset that he had to sell everything to do this. But I think he's more sad because he's not willing to sell those things. And therefore he will not get to enjoy and taste the fellowship and the love and the unity of the community he's been following around. And so he says, I pray this, that the world will know. I've always told the, the, the staffs I've been on in, in ministry that, that we have to love one another. In, in real, invisible ways. And that the greater our love for one another is, it's like a magnet because people want to be in those kind of relationships. People want to be loved and accepted. And so as our staff grew in love for one another, our ministry grew because people began to press in and wonder what's different about this. Why are they like this? Because they have unity. Because they have unity. Groups full of love and unity are like magnets. They pull people in. And then the gospel is at least seen if it's not believed. We are a living testimony to Christ being sent by the Father for us in our unity and our love for one another. That's why a local church is so important. Why being a part of one is so important. And so the second part of this where he moves from praying for us to about us, and that's kind of technical in terms, but verses 24 to 26, he's no longer praying for us. He's now talking to the Father about us. Semantics, you might say, but, but bear with me. I just have this picture of Jesus is now uh, with his, his Father, and they've sat down in, in some wonderful leather, you know, uh, recliners together, and they've got their feet up, and Jesus has gone and, and, and poured in the Father, you know, a glass of some delicious dram, and they're just having a, a drink together, and he's just expressing his heart now to his Father, his desires to his Father and this heart-to-heart, and, and it's a private chat, but we get to eavesdrop on it, thanks to the Holy Spirit. And so how do they talk about us? Well, he says that what? He has a desire. In verses 24, he says, I have a desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. 
I have a desire. Now, the, that's the ESV's translation. I'm not sure what version of the Bible you, you, you have open or if you have one open. Um, but there are a few times where I love what the KGV says. The old school, the original, right? Um, it says, I will. I will that they see. Not I desire that they will, but I will. It's, it's a decree almost. And we have to remember that he's not bossing the father around. He and the father, he's already told us, are in unity with one another. So when he's expressing his heart, he's expressing the heart of the father. That that they might see my glory, he says. His will is that we be with him to see his glory. It's being prayed. And this run up to his humility, his suffering, his, his crucifixion. Why is he praying this? Because all we've seen with our own eyes is his weakness. Well, how? Because we see his weakness in ourselves. We see his weakness in, in, in ourselves. We live. And sooner or later, we are all going to die. We feel the scorn and the shame of a world that does not believe. We suffer. And we're dying. And we'll be buried. And one day we'll shed tears over our weaknesses that we're unable to beat death. So we, we, we know his, his weakness. But Jesus has plans. Jesus has plans for you and he has plans for me. That, that we not end there. That, we, that there's a day that's coming that we will no longer see our weakness or see his weakness. But that we will see his glory. That we will see his glory. And not just a glimpse of his glory but to have his glory for eternity to be where he is with the Father. So not just to have seen him in his weakness or know him in his weakness, but to know him now glorified at the right hand of the Father, ruling with truth and grace and mercy and justice. That that, that all the heavenly host is, is singing his glory, that we might see that, that we might be with him. That's his heart. Then he takes us more deeply. He not only desires that we see his glory but that we would know his love. That we would know his love. Verses 24 and 25 is, I I desire that they whom you have given me will see my glory. But then he says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He loves us. He wants us to know his love. I'm convinced for most of us in this room this morning, our biggest problem is that we do not grasp how much God loves us. And that if we did, it would scare us. He loves us deeply. He loves us deeply. Jesus says, I've been making known your name to them that they may know you. The world's biggest tragedy is not the poverty, it's not the famines, it's not the suffering and the wars. The world's greatest tragedy is the world does not know God. And Jesus says here, they don't know God, but, but I have made your name known to these. To these. And that knowledge, that knowledge of, of Christ making known to us the Father, that knowledge leads to us, what? Having the love of the Father. Even in the midst of the brokenness of the church today, you can catch glimpses of this beauty. You can catch glimpses of our future. 
And the more we rest in that love, the more we look to the cross and understand the grace that has been given to us, the greater we'll grow in unity and love for one another. Because the more we will understand the love that God has for us. In the second century AD, there was a persecution of Christians going on by a then pretty wicked Roman emperor. And there was a a man named Aristides, uh, who was kind of like a defense attorney. That's what we'll say he is. I, I don't know what the Roman or Latin term for that would be, but that's what he was. And he comes and he gives a speech to the emperor. Uh, on behalf of them, appealing to the emperor. And he speaks saying essentially like, these people are different. You don't get it, emperor. These people are different. When there's a widow among them, they all begin to care for her. They all care for her. When, when someone doesn't have enough money, they will go without eating to save up money to care for the poor. And it goes on and on talking about the differences these Christians have. But then he ends with these words to the emperor. This is quoting him. He says, Surely, O emperor, there is something divine amidst them. That's what Jesus prayed for. That the, the love of the church would be so great that it would be obvious that there is something divine among us. That divinity that is among us is that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And so as we're united together through Christ, In love, we proclaim to the world that Jesus has come. We proclaim to the world that Jesus will come again. We proclaim to the world the hope and the love of Christ. As we love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning. We rejoice in the work of Christ. We come this morning rejoicing in the gift that you have given to us in our union with him and with one another. And so we pray throughout this week that you would remind us of his grace in times where we find it difficult to show love, to show mercy, to show grace. Pray that throughout this week you would remind us of the unity, the unity that, that you have with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. That this perfect union is the foundation for the union we have with one another. May our union to one another proclaim the glories of your gospel. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.